It was that silent night when the stars turned their gaze to marvel at the earth. When the heavens gathered breathless round a lowly stable. When a young mother wept tears of worship, falling on the baby in her arms. And the song of the earth arose in Bethlehem, soft as the tender beating of his heart. And all was calm, all was bright. Yet could this be the same God of Abraham, the conqueror of Israel, this baby? This fragile life. Is this child the one who burned his name in rapture across the gasping skies? Whose voice spoke the oceans into crashing rhythms? Who crafted the mountains into guardians of the firmament? Whose hand ignited the thirst of the deserts and the warring surge of the elemental hosts? Who breathed life from dust? Broke the oppressor's rule? scattered the chains of his people like sand and led them through the wilderness with a pillar of flame. Is this child the one whose presence billowed thunderous on Sinai's peak? Who surrounded Job with the roaring wind, stood defiant in the raging furnace, wrote judgment against tyrants and blazed on the lips of the prophets, scorching history's pages with the fury of his might? be the same God who chose to come as the vulnerable king, setting his throne on straw and manger, drawing forth the tears of shepherds, receiving the gifts of wandering travelers, his fame unknown in this world. He is Jesus, the one who thunders through the heavens yet whispers to our hearts, who reigns victorious, yet bows to serve the broken. He is God in the fury, God in the silence. He holds this mystery balanced in his hands, holds our questions till they lose their need, until all we see Over the last few weeks, we have been in a sermon series called Do Not Be Afraid. And this entire account of uh, messages has been about angel encounters. Uh, Not the kind of little like hallmark angel that you and I think about, not the little Valentine angel, but the angel that Isaiah identifies, which is a supernatural being in which when you encounter him, you are going to be terrified. And in all the accounts that we have seen so far, an account of a guy named Zacharias, he was tending to God's purposes in the temple. Uh, When Mary was uh, browsing uh, things, probably preparing for her upcoming wedding, an angel appeared. Uh, Joseph in his dream, all three of those accounts, they were terrified, even though the angel on the other end that scared them so much had an important message From God. And here's what we've learned over the last handful of weeks is oftentimes when God wants to reveal something to us, He is inviting us to be a part of His work. But oftentimes it's not an invitation we receive, but it feels like an interruption. 
And oftentimes when God reveals himself, we oftentimes look around and we wonder, why is it that he's giving us a proclamation of inconvenience, uh, an interruption per se in our life? And I think in many accounts, uh, as you think through those last three, you could also say the same thing about Luke chapter 2, an account that the angel shows up to this group that's out in the meadow nearby, tending to their flocks. It's these shepherds. But here's the deal. I was thinking about this recently, and I was wondering, what type of fears do we have? Like, what areas are we afraid? And I would imagine that even as we gather tonight, with Christmas just a handful of days away, that there are fears that strike the very deep part of our hearts. For instance, there are some of you that you have what's called church fears. Uh, church fears are like, I'm invited to go to this uh, Stone Point family Christmas, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not sure I want to do that. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't really want to walk into a place and a bunch of religious uh, people who have their lives together, they look down on me. Uh, there's others of you that you're like, what, what, are, they, what are they going to, to say to me? Am I going to be dressed nice enough? I'm, am I going to be underdressed? I mean, what, what is it? And some of us, we are just fearful of even walking into a place like this. Uh, there are others of us that we have what we would call Christmas fears. For instance, there are some dudes in the house um, that you are wondering right now if what you got your lady for Christmas is going to be substantial enough. Uh, you're wondering what her reaction's going to be. They're, you're wondering if she's going to love it or like it, or if, even if you listened well enough to know what it was that she might actually want. And for some of you, you're like, I'm, I'm really fearful about that. I'm not really sure. There's others of you that, as dudes in this room, you're fearful because you're three days away and you got nothing. And your plan right now is CVS or Walgreens or something like that. And you're like, you're a little bit trepidatious. You, you ladies, you've got a Christmas fear. Well, one, because some of you are going to be opening the gifts that your uh, significant other got you. And you're wondering, like, how am I going to respond? How do I do it in that a gracious way? How do I do that in a loving way? I mean, how do I do that without showing it all in my face? Uh, there are some of you that you have Christmas fears because there's going to be some family coming over. Um, you're going to be cooking a meal, and you're like, are they going to love the meal? I mean, are they going to like what I'm cooking? I'm, I'm cooking, you know, for the very first time, an expensive meat. I'm not really sure how to do it. And you're, you're on Pinterest, and you're on all the cooking things, and you're trying to figure this out. Like, you're really fearful about it. Uh, there's some of you that you're fearful because there's family coming over. And, and some of the family is like, I don't really know what, what that's going to look like because you got family from both sides, and all of us, can we just admit, what, all of us have like a crazy uncle? Go ahead, yeah. If you don't admit, you might be the crazy uncle. And here's the deal, when the crazy uncle shows up once a year, the only thing he seems to bring to the conversation is a, is a big bundle of criticism, you know? Reminds you a lot about what he brought last year, and he gives you a bunch of opinions, and, and everybody, like, don't, don't raise your hand, don't nod, don't even agree that there's an uncle in your family that does that, but there is. And oftentimes they show up at Christmas and they tell you all these things. And so you've got some fears related to that. There are others of us that we have what we would just call personal fears. Personal fears about like in this season that you are in one of the darkest times in your life where everybody else seems to be so joyful, you seem to be so sorrowful. Everything seems to be with bright lights around. And for you in the deep, dark place of your heart, you just sense darkness. There's not a lot of joy. There's not a lot of peace. In many ways, your heart is gripped with fear. 
For some of you, it's because of relationships, and maybe it's a marriage that you would say is hanging on by the thread, or maybe as you enter into this season of joy and celebration, you would know that there's a kiddo that's estranged and um, that that is off doing things, and, and you you just don't have a good relationship with them. You haven't talked to them in a long time, and and there's just some things that are are just difficult for many of us in this this celebration uh, time. We know there's an empty chair. Uh, we know that there's a place that should be um, someone we love sitting in it, and it just brings up a flood of emotions. And, and so in many ways, we put on a smile and we try to go about, but we just know that there's something in our hearts that's grit with fear. Can I just tell you that that's what the message that every angel is proclaiming, is that you and I don't have to be afraid that we don't have to fear, and, and that there's a reason that we don't. And the reason is going to be proclaimed to these shepherds that are out tending to the flocks. And so in Luke chapter 2, this is the account of the story that we have. Um, and this, this account is found in verses 8 and following, right after the proclamation of Jesus being born in verse 7. Uh, this Savior has been born to us in the town of David, the city of Bethlehem. There was no room for him in the inn, and so he's born in this manger. And after he's uh, appeared, and he is now uh, physically with us, the incarnation, God with us on earth, an angel appears, and this is the fourth account that we have in our Bible in a period of 15 months. And so the first one happened 15 months earlier to Zechariah in the temple. It happened just a, six months after that to uh, Mary, and then a, maybe a, another few weeks after that to Joseph. And then here it is, nine months later, he, he's showing up again. We don't know who it is. The first two accounts, we know it was Gabriel, but this one, it just says an angel. And so in verse 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And then the angel said to him, and I want you to read it with me, Fear not. Fear not. Hey, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news. And good news there means it's a, it's a heralding. It, it is a proclamation. And that is that the gospel, the good news has arrived. And so he goes, I've got an announcement to make. I want you to know something. And he says this, that there should be great joy that will be for all the people. Not some of the people, not a few of the people, not among just the elite of people, but that it's for all the people. That the Savior is being born, and you should be excited about that. Matter of fact, he says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and he will be lying in a manger. And so here it is, if you can imagine these shepherds out in the field, and they had the same encounter that uh, these other people have had, and their response was similar. Though there was an invitation to respond to God's message this angel was bringing, they were terrified. It felt like an inconvenience, an interruption in their life. And you can imagine being in the, under the dark 
just starry night. You're tending to your flock like you would do every other night. And then out of nowhere, this bright light shines forth. And then from the light, something probably begins to form an image in, out of all of that. And you look and, and, and you're just a little bit creeped out a little bit fearful, and then you got these grown men, and I'm sure probably one of them wet themselves. I mean, that's probably what I would do. Um, and so here it is. This is all going down, and they're terrified. They're afraid, and then this is what happens right after that. Uh, suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God joins them, and they are saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among the, those whom with he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Now let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And then they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph, and the baby was lying in a manger. Now when we think about this, you've got an angel account, but oftentimes we forget to read that right after this angel joins and he proclaims this message, a multitude of heavenly hosts. I mean, how many? Is that hundreds? Is it thousands? I don't know what that looks like, but it is a bunch of heavenly hosts proclaiming that the Savior is born. And if you could imagine one angel terrifying you, could you imagine hundreds or possibly even thousands proclaiming that? And here's the crazy thing. As we read this, you go, oh yeah, I've heard this story. But the challenge for us as Americans is that we are so familiar with the Christmas story and various parts of it that we actually have become very unfamiliar with it. Like we, we have, we've read it, we've heard it, we think that it's, you know, in a sense, what we have set up as a nativity on our coffee table or somewhere in our house. But can you imagine a, a heralding, a proclaiming, a host of angels showing up? And then here it is to these shepherds. And the question is, is have you ever thought about this? Why the shepherds? Why shepherds? I mean, if, if God is going to proclaim an announcement for all the people to hear, and the very first account of Jesus being born is angelic host going to the fields nearby to shepherds, my question is, have you ever just slowed down enough to ask yourself that question, why? Why the shepherds? I mean, here's the thing. If you and I had a proclamation and we had hired somebody to go herald the good news about our son's birth, I mean, who do we herald it to? We go to family members? We go to friends? I mean, we're going to go to the people that we know that can help spread the message in some ways. But think about it this day and time. I mean, if you're going to proclaim a new king being born, who do you go to? Maybe to the kings of earth. I mean, maybe you go to the religious leaders of the day. Maybe the first proclamation should be to the temple and all the religious people to say, hey, listen, just so you know, uh, you're worshiping in the wrong place. He's over there. But that's not who they go to. That's not who they go to at all. Who do they go to? They go to shepherds out in the field. And when you start thinking about shepherds, you even have to ask yourself, what well, does that really even make sense in our day and time? And in many ways, I would say there's two reasons that you need to know they went to the shepherds and, and, and what the shepherds must have been working through. And, and I think number one is, is these shepherds, as the angel appeared, would have been wrestling with the fact that they w- would have felt very unloved in society. Like it doesn't make sense for this reason. So shepherds in that day and time oftentimes were the youngest of all their siblings. Matter of fact, an Old Testament account of that was a, was a boy named David uh, who had seven other brothers and which when... Samuel goes to his father Jesse and says, hey, I want to see all of your sons. Um, He brings seven, and there's one out in the field, this lowly one uh, out in the field tending to the flock nearby. His name was David, probably a little runt to his brothers, and he was not one of the elite. 
Matter of fact, what he was doing was what he was called to do as a younger sibling. But oftentimes, because the lot would fall that way, those younger siblings would never have a real advantage in society. And so because of the fact that they tended to the flocks, they became, in many ways, social outcasts. They weren't able to go and attend Sabbath meetings. They weren't able to go uh, and and be a part of some of the other things because they always had a flock to care for. And so what would oftentimes happen is not only would they be outcast because of the nomadic lifestyle they had, but in many ways they would have very few relationships. And so it would just be like this. If you and I were walking through downtown Jerusalem and we saw a shepherd, here's what we would do. We would say, hey, kids, y'all come a little bit closer to me. If you happen to pull up and you're going to tie up your donkey, you're going to go in and get a drink with your family. You're like, hey, kids, watch out because there's shepherds right there. And then here's what you do. It would be like you pulling up and you locking your cars down. You understand? Because you've done that before. You've been in a place. You're like, oh, I don't really trust these people. They don't look like me. I don't know that we're in a good place. And so you, you encourage your kids to lock the door or you do it yourself. Anybody ever done that? Anybody lying? Yeah. So we've done that. That's what you would do when you ran across a shepherd because they, they would have been, the, uh, in, a, in a sense, the uncouth, the uneducated, the dirty, the filthy. And they would have felt very unloved in many ways because they were rejected in so many ways. Matter of fact, the religious leaders would look down on them. Why? Because the religious leaders had their lives together. And, and here's one of the things that you, you couldn't do as a, as a religious person is you, you couldn't neglect God's day of worship. And yet here the shepherds are, they've never been to the temple. Why? Because they're out caring to the flocks. And so there's just so many ways that in that culture, these shepherds would have felt unloved. But you have to ask yourself, that, can, can I relate? Matter of fact, there's some of you, the reason that you were so fearful today, even coming into the place like this, is you go, I, it's been a long time since I've been to church. It could have been last year at Christmas, or it could have been three years ago, or it could have been a decade ago. Or for some of you, you're like, I haven't been to church since I was in my 20s. And in many ways, you're like, I, I was a little bit fearful of that because I'm afraid that if I walk into this place, that it's going to fall down on me. Over the years, I've had many people would literally say, I, I can't walk into that place because I'm afraid that, that the walls are just going to cave in. And I'm like, why? And they're like, you just don't know what I've done. And, and here's what you need to understand. God made a point to go to these people who were so unloved. There was a reason he didn't go to the religious elite. There was a reason he didn't go to kings and priests. There was a reason that he didn't go to people who claimed to have their life together. There was a reason that he picked these lowly, dirty, outcast people called shepherds. And the question is, is what would that reason be? Well, I got an idea. It's that because God picked the shepherds because he wanted them to feel loved and he wanted them to be made righteous because of a faith in a lamb. Now let me ask you a question. If, if we heed the words of John the Baptist in John 129, when John the Baptist says, look, behold, there's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Do you think that maybe he picked the shepherds because they're used to dealing with lambs? 
Matter of fact, he picks these dirty shepherds that are so familiar with lambs because lambs were a really big deal in their culture. Matter of fact, you can go all the way back to Exodus, and here's what you have in Exodus. You have a guy named Moses who was commissioned, um, even though he was a murderer and didn't have his life together, God says, I want to use you despite being advanced in age. Moses says, no, I don't think I'm your guy. And then the Lord says, no, you are my guy, and I want you to go, and you tell Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, this, this elite in his society, that I am who I am and that he should let my people, the Israelites, go. And so Moses says, okay, well, how are you going to convince him? And he said, you leave that up to me. And so he brings a series of plagues, nine, until he gets to the final tenth one, in which the tenth one he is going to take and he is going to kill all the firstborn children in the land to get Pharaoh's attention. But then God tells Moses, he says, now listen, I want you to do something. He goes, I want you to take and tell all of your people that they should go and they should pick the best lamb they have. And then what they should do is they should carefully bring it in the home. And then he says, and they should kill it. And then he gives instructions. And he says, I want you to make sure that you don't break any of the bones of this lamb's body. I want you to make sure that what you do is I want you to take it and I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to put it over the doorpost of your homes. And then I want you to take and I want you to eat and I want you to enjoy that lamb. But you also need to do it with your cloak ready and you also need to do it with your, your, your sandals on. And the reason why is because God says, I'm about to spare you and you better be ready to move. And so here it is, one starry night an angel appears. But listen, the angel that appears that night is not bringing good news and glad tidings for all the people. What he is doing is saying, you should be afraid, for if you don't have a proper Passover lamb, then you will not be spared. And God saves the people who have a blood post covered by a lamb. And then the Hebrew people would begin celebrating that every single year in this place called Passover. And in Passover, they would celebrate. They would bring a lamb into their, their family. Guess what? They would raise it if it was a pet. They would feed it, care for it, give it proper nutrition. They would get to where it was big, strong, healthy, without blemish. And then guess what? Every year, they would do the same thing. They would kill it. And it would be a reminder of God's providence. But eventually what God would do is he would say, listen, what if I bring a new lamb? And instead of this year, the lamb being picked from the meadow, what if you're not looking for this idea of a lamb in the meadow, but maybe you're looking for him in a manger? And so what God does is he does something in his providence and his wisdom and his foreknowledge. He goes to these unloved shepherds and he goes... This is the season in which you can know you're loved and you can be made righteous. And so you need to know that there is a baby born in the city of David and he is born for all the people. How, how much of the people? All the people. And this is what the shepherds began to understand. They realized that, that they would see who the son was. And the question that you got to ask yourself is, 
What was their response? Like, what do they do? They've got this proclamation. They, they would have felt unloved. And then God shows up and he goes, no, like you, you are loved and you can be made righteous. All you got to do is look to the sun, leave the meadow, go to the manger. And so they take off of the manger. And, and here's what you see in verse 17 and following. This is the response. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all the things, pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, and they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And the question is, is what do you think they were sharing with people? I think this is what they're sharing. I think their sharing is, is that God came. Can you believe it? Like as dirty, as nasty, as filthy as we are, he revealed himself to us through angels? Like that's incredible. Like can you, can you believe that we were outsiders? Like nobody in our society has anything to do with this, but God says that we can be insiders, that we can be a part of his family? Wow, what an incredible thing. And then they began to put together something that, you know what? People who follow Jesus, these people called Christians, are actually not good people. They're not good people. You're like, what? No, they just have trusted in the goodness of God. Like they began to realize, like, you know what? We, we're messed up. Like we, we don't have our lives together. Anybody in here, you're like, I'm, I'm kind of messed up. I don't have my life together. I'm, I'm fearful of a lot of things. I'm a little bit afraid of things. Um, I oftentimes say things I shouldn't say. I oftentimes put myself in situations I shouldn't put myself in. And, and I know that oftentimes, I, like, I do things that are just outright foolish. And, and not only do I do it in my family, I do it in my work, and I do it in lots of different places. And you look at your life, and you examine your thoughts, and you even say, I know that I'm a sinner because I've made so many mistakes. But here's what the shepherds knew as well, is that even though they had made mistakes and even though they weren't righteous, that there was one who was righteous. Even though they weren't good, they could celebrate the goodness of God. And that's what they were celebrating. And, and here's what you and I need to know, is that if you can understand that you and I aren't good, but there is a good God, then it helps us to realize what our job is. And our job is not to work towards God. Why? Because of the finished work that God has done on our behalf. And so what you and I oftentimes think is, is in order to, to appease God and to be a part of his plan is that we have to work ourselves to him and that we got to be good and we got to be righteous and we got to be religious and we got to attend church and we got to make sure that even when the Cowboys are playing, we don't miss because God wouldn't be pleased with that, right? No, like we know that God has a finished work for us and we celebrate that and we know that he sent his son for us, that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, that God worked himself down to us in the form of a baby born in the city of David, the town of Bethlehem, to make us righteous and to call us to be a part of the family of God. And maybe you're here tonight and you go, you know, I, I, that, that resonates with me. And, and I know that I've done a lot of foolish things in my life, but I, I just don't know. Like, can I really be a part of the family of God? And the answer is yes. And here's what it looks like. It looks like for you to, to trust in the finished work of Jesus. Don't trust in your work. Don't trust in your religion. Don't trust in you trying to be better than the next person. Because here's what happens is, is if you try to be religious, it, it does something that is kind of in some ways twisted in our heart. And that means that we compare ourselves to other people rather than the holy God that he wants us to compare himself to. 
And so when we compare ourselves to God, that, that means that we're nothing. But in our righteousness and in our religion, if we compare ourselves to others, then guess what? It makes us rude, cynical, and mean. And there's some of us at Christmas, that's what we've become. It's because we judge everybody around us because they don't do the things we think they should do. But here's what you need to know about Christmas. The only thing we have to do is celebrate the greatest gift ever given. Not in the meadow, but in the manger. And so will you let God's light shine in your heart? Will you seek him? Will you not live in fear or be afraid? Because here's what you and I need to know. Is that you cannot claim to be at peace with God and also gripped with fear. Because those two things cannot exist in the human heart at the same time. If you are fearful, afraid, confused, listen, confess that to the Lord and ask him to replace that fear with the joy and the work of his spirit. Ask him to do a work in your heart of renewal and refreshment and excitement. Not so you can fake it till you make it, until all your family gets out of the house and you can go back to your dark room and be depressed. But so that you can allow the Lord to do a work of of renovation in your heart and in the depths of your soul. Listen, I'm glad you're here. And I pray that tonight is an opportunity for you to reflect and rejoice on the goodness of God. And listen, if you're here for the very first time and you were scared to death to walk into this place, can I just tell you, I'd love to meet you. And not only would I love to meet you, but if you're a first-time guest, I wouldn't love to just meet you and put a face in the name. I would love to pray with you. I would love to share you with you why Christmas is so important to me. And, and I'll tell you why he's more important than a guy in a red suit. And I would love to do that right outside these double doors. We've, we've got a little booth set up. I'm going to be there. And here, here's my deal. If you'll come and introduce yourself to me, maybe let me pray with you. Maybe just visit with you for a second. We also have some team members there who would love to bless you and your family with a Chick-fil-A card for just being with us for the first time. And here's what I want you to know more than anything is that God loves you and that you don't have to be afraid of being a part of the family of God. Because when you come a part of a family that knows where our righteousness comes from, not of ourselves, but of a holy God, then it means that everyone, regardless of where you've been, what you've done, can be a, a part of this great work. And I pray that you might consider being a part of it as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for our time together. I pray that you would encourage our hearts, remind us of the goodness of God. And I pray that whatever it is that we are afraid of or whatever it is that we are fearful of in this life, whether it be church worries or Christmas worries or personal fears, Lord, that we would look to the one who desires to care for us. That we could actually belong to your family. That regardless if we're a bunch of misfits or even mishaps in the world, that, that it's those people that you sought after. Like you rejoiced in going after the shepherds. Like it was a proclamation because of the king you are. You want to go to people who don't go have it together. And so you went to sinners. You, you went to tax collectors. You went to, uh, to fishermen. You went to people who didn't have their life together. And that is the greatest hope that we have this year. That we don't have to have our life together. We don't have to look perfect. We don't even have to act like we got together to know your love. And so God, would you reveal yourself to us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.